Welcome to the cemetery. I'm Nathan Barnett, former gravedigger from spooky old New England, and you're listening to Grave Stories. Boom! That's my intro. The more I say it, the easier it is for it to fall out of my face. Flipping that lip, giving you what you want. Catchphrases and logos. I listen to podcasts all the time, and they always have an intro. They always have a thing. So I'm like, maybe I should have a thing. I don't really need to have a thing. My thing is... My thing is poor production value, poor production quality, subpar entertainment. I'm going against my mom's rule. I'm not supposed to make fun of myself. But hey, I feel happy with my low-qual podcast. Here's the deal, everyone. I hate the intros. I want to just get to the juicy deets. I want to get to the spook juice. I want to hear all the good spooky things. And I'm going to start off this week... As I think this is going to be the, uh, my normal format now. I'm going to read user stories, if there are any. Thank you to everyone who does support me on Patreon and who is in my Discord and leaves me their stories. I'm going to read a bunch more in a second. So thank you, everyone, for keeping me alive and supporting me. If you want to support on Patreon, that's how you can support this podcast. And you can get in my Discord and you can tell me your weird stories. So it doesn't have to be ghost stories. It could be an alien thing, UFO thing, just an unexplained thing. You had a huge dump and you can't explain why it was turquoise. Tell me. I went to read it. And I today, this is the big news. Today, I got my very first voice memo message review thing on the anchor app where i load this podcast and then it goes off to all the other podcast spots spotify and apple itunes google on anchor the very first person left me a voice review comment message i don't know what to call it because you can say whatever you want in these voice messages and i can add it right here for you all to hear so the very first person thank you for doing this their name is damon illing and let's hear what they have to say. Yo, great podcast. Keep up good work. Oh, Damon, thank you so much. What a raving review. I can't believe Damon loves my podcast so much that he would leave me such a glorious review telling me how great my podcast is. What I took from that was, this is the best podcast I've ever heard. So thank you, Damon Illing. I really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. If you, too, want to be on this podcast, leave me a voice message on Anchor. Tell me it stinks. Tell me I talk too much. One guy on YouTube said, dude, your energy is really annoying. You, like, totally ruined the podcast. Chill out. <laughs> guy hated how excited I get. Because I understand. I get it. Not everyone wants to listen to a, a raving lunatic sitting in a closet reading ghost stories that aren't even that scary to 12-year-olds. But they're scary to me. This guy just wanted to hear the story. And I stopped reading the stories all the time because I get too scared and I have to say how I'm feeling. It makes me feel better. It calms the goosebumps, major goosebumps constantly throughout this podcast. So I'm sorry to those who hate it, but thank you to those who love it. I know I'm not going to please everyone, but Damon Illing is a number one fan. So thank you, Damon, for saying that. I appreciate it and I will keep it up just for you. Now, after this sponsored break, we will read some stories from the listeners. Oh, my God. 
Halloween Toys R Us doesn't miss a trick, and the price is a retreat. We've got costumes for all Toys R Us kids, even grown-ups. And loads of candy, makeup, masks, and more. Toys R Us will make your Halloween supernatural. <laughs> Now that's an ad. Oh boy, what a good one. I can't believe I was able to get them to attach themselves to my podcast. You guys see who I'm associating myself with? This is top qual. My low qual is top qual. This is the highest low quality you can get. All right, let's jump into the stories. This first story is from a longtime fan of all the nonsense, Helly. We all know Helly online in the comments and on Discord and on Patreon and everywhere. Thank you, Helly. This is Helly. Thank you for telling me the story. This is her story of something that happened to her. And hopefully I don't stumble all the way through it. Here we go. Ooh, the title and everything. A true life spooky demon story by Helly. When I was 14, I had a terrifying experience while alone in my bedroom that I will never forget. A few weeks before the event, my dad bought me a vintage-looking red neon wall clock that I hung up on my bedroom wall. The night it happened, I was lying in bed with the lights off with just the red glow of the clock lighting up the room. I was flat on my back with my eyes open, completely awake. Eyes on the clock. I felt what I thought had to be an invisible, evil, dark presence come into my room and hold me down on the bed. I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't even move a finger. I tried to yell out for my dad, but I could barely move my mouth. All that came out was a death rattle. Ooh, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's such a spooky sound. You know, that eerie gurgling noise, like from the movie The Grudge? I felt this presence lift me up as I was lying flat on my back and move me over to the left of the bed above the carpet. My eyes were still open and focused on the clock. I felt like this pressure slowly pulling me down toward the floor. So there I was, levitating in the air, unable to move or call for help. Afraid that I was about to be pulled down into the depths of hell by a demon, I couldn't do anything else. So I did the only thing that I could do, pray. As I was pleading with God to come to my rescue, I felt a second brighter presence pull me up higher off the ground. What occurred next I could only describe as a spiritual battle of good versus evil happening around me. I still can't explain how I was able to feel the presence of these spirits, how I knew that the first spirit was evil and that the second was good. I felt the spirits fighting around my paralyzed, levitating body. After a few minutes, the good spirit, who I can only think of as my guardian angel, defeated the evil spirit and gently lowered me back onto my bed. I still had my eyes on the glowing clock when I broke out of my paralyzed state and could talk and move again. I wondered if it was all a dream, but it couldn't have been. I never woke up from the dream because I never fell asleep. I was lucid and conscious the whole time. I was too terrified to get out of bed, so I stayed awake all night staring at the damn clock. Now at the time, I had no idea there was a legitimate condition that could explain what had happened to me. I was convinced that I was being attacked by demons. I was sure that if I told my parents about it, they would be completely distraught and hire some sort of exorcist to cleanse the house and cast the demons out. Unfortunately, these visits from an evil presence holding me down in the bed started to become a regular thing. Sometimes I could just feel them around me, watching me, waiting for some sort of opportunity to possess me. Every night was terrifying. 
but I was too scared to talk to anyone about what I was experiencing. I eventually learned about a common condition called sleep paralysis. MedicineNet.com says sleep paralysis is a frightening form of paralysis that occurs when a person suddenly finds himself or herself unable to move for a few minutes, most often upon falling asleep or waking up. Sleep paralysis is due to an irregularity—that's a word—irregularity. Oh my gosh, I can't say that word. Irregularity. Mm-hmm. In passing between the stages of sleep and wakefulness, the symptoms of sleep paralysis include sensations of noises, smells, levitation, paralysis, terror, <laughs> terror, terror is, is one of the symptoms, <laughs> and images of frightening intruders, once considered very rare. Up to half of all people are now believed to experience sleep paralysis sometime during their life. I'm going to pause really quick. I've never experienced sleep paralysis. Ever. Uh, I've had many girlfriends who have had this happen to them, and they're like, oh my God, it's the worst thing in the world. I don't know. I don't want to say it's... I've only, I personally have only heard stories from female friends and female people I know. I'm sure that has nothing to do with it. I think it's just a coincidence. But I have never had it, and none, no one I know close in my life has ever had it. I think... I've heard that it has to do with stress. I'm luck, luck, luckfully, is that the word? Nope, it's not. I'm luckily not a very stressed person. So, but there are times where I get stressed out, but I've luckily never had this happen to me. Uh, it sounds horrible. It sounds like the worst thing that could happen to you. You just can't move. My ex-girlfriend and now best friend Siobhan, she's had this happen like all the time and like yet sometimes you have to go to like hypnotists and shamans to like relax your brain to like get out of it so you can escape these things this sounds terrifying i feel bad for you heli but thank you for telling me this horrible story okay let's continue it's a relief to know that there's a scientific explanation for what happens to me but i can't help but wonder if there's a paranormal connection is it possible that spirits take advantage of the transition humans have between being awake and asleep to make a contact with us? <gasps> Dude, I like that. Yeah, I think so. Just you saying that makes me go, mm-hmm, yep, I'm super into that. Okay, continuing. Many alien abduction stories have also been attributed to sleep paralysis episodes. The night that I was being levitated in the air, I inherently knew it was some sort of evil spirit. Having a scientific explanation doesn't make my experience feel any less real. Maybe it was a demon trying to possess me or drag me into hell. Maybe it was a ghost haunting me. Maybe it was an alien attempting to abduct me. Or maybe it really was all just a hallucination that happened because my body thought I was asleep when I was still awake. I guess I'll never really know for sure. Ooh, until the day you wake up in hell! <laughs> Sorry, that was not, not going to happen to you, Heli. I swear. Uh, if you do, don't don't blame me. Dang, that's a good one. So the sleep paralysis often comes up in like ghost stories. I read a lot of ghost stories online and stuff, and I often go, "Ugh, it's just another sleep paralysis story." Because for me, I don't really like sleep paralysis stories because that's the explanation. A lot of times in ghost stories, when I hear there's, an, there's a moment in the story where like they're being haunted, things are moving around their kitchen, I'm like, yeah, yeah, awesome, juicy details. And then when they go, and then there was a night where I couldn't get out of my bed and I was staring at this person, I was like, Ugh. it's just sleep paralysis. I hate moments in stories, haunting stories, where people describe basically sleep paralysis. 
Because then I'm like, I like when I cannot explain it. That's what's fun for me. Sleep paralysis is often ex- very explainable. But Heli, I like your insight. I like your question there about maybe it's a good way for spirits to jump in and hijack you when you're in that state. They can slip through from their world to ours. I think there is probably a good chance. I mean, I like to think, I hope there's a good chance that the spirit world, the other dimension we go to, wherever the heck else we end up going, if there are multiple dimensions going on, I think sleeping in dreams is possibly like the highway to those two dimensions. That's the way you travel. I think there's something to that. I like to believe that. So, Heli, I'm into your theory. And thank you very much for your story. All right, let's keep it going. This next story is from listener Miss Munis. Five years ago, in the middle of the night, at the end of the summer, my ex-boyfriend, some friends I had at the time, and I all decided to explore an abandoned asylum. Oh, 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 yes. It was very dark out, and we didn't use flashlights to avoid getting caught. As we were walking up to the main building, we passed a few small buildings that were part of the complex. I looked over to one of the windows and saw a very light-colored figure with a white doctor's coat. Oh, dude. I let out a gasp, and a feeling of terror I've never felt before came over me. Unable to move, I stood there staring back at the figure. Oh my gosh, that's the worst. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, they're gonna get you. (laughs) My ex had come up to me, wondering why I was freaking out, and got me to look at him, and I looked back, and the figure was gone from the window. Ooh, baby. We continued into the main building and saw tons of cool equipment still lying around. The paint on the walls was peeling in an interesting way that you could see all of the colors they've used on each layer. Eventually, we went onto the roof. There were two parts to the roof. Both were flat, and one was higher up. My ex and friends went to the top part, and I stayed on the bottom because I was still pretty shaky from seeing what I saw. Gravel started rolling off the top part of the roof and hitting me, so I assumed it was covered in gravel up there. My ex came down first to see if I was alright, while my friends stayed up there for a while. A few minutes passed, and the pebbles started rolling off and hitting us. What the hell, he said. I told him, that's what happened when you were up there, and he says, but there were no rocks up there. Oh! Dude! Oh! That's awesome! That's a good one. I just got super chills right there. Oh, thank you. Very good story. Thank you very much, Miss Munis. Dang. All right, let's keep it moving. This next story is from listener Dr. No Degree. A couple years back, I went to visit my friend to stay at his house and write music slash sing songs because at that time we wanted to start a singing group. Later that night, we decided to go on a night walk down to his local playground to mess about and pitch lyrics to each other while we ran around the park. Eventually, after trying to create a song about people walking the streets alone, we spotted a swing set and began to discuss life and other topics while looking at the stars and swinging back and forth. Soon, after swinging for a while, I noticed the atmosphere had grown cold and I suddenly felt very uncomfortable and jittery, almost as if I was being attacked and my anxiety slash paranoia had gone into overdrive. I looked over at my friend, we'll call him B, and I said to B, do you feel that? I think someone might be in the park with us. He barely responded, muttering something unintelligible under his breath. I proceeded to try and shake him out of his state he was in, but he refused to speak to me. I began to look around and saw a shadowy figure standing next to the park's entry sign. All right, 
now freaking out. Oh, I got goosebumps. I get goosebumps so easily. Oh, this is freaking. Oh, I need to stop reading these stories at night in a freaking closet alone. Uh, the only thing I have next to me to keep me company is the Diane dress. If any of you who don't know, I create a series called Dad Feels. I play Dad. There's an actor in it, friend Melania, who plays a character named Diane. The Diane dress is here in the closet. It's like literally one inch from my face as I'm sitting here recording this and I like want to like hold it to keep me company I'm freaking out ah your stories this is a good one these are good listener stories this week thank you everyone okay I gotta get back into it I began to look around and saw a shadowy figure standing next to the park's entry sign standing tall over it wearing a cloak and broad hat he looked like he was made completely of a mist-like substance I only noticed this because he began slowly drifting towards us as his very mass went through the sign itself as this thing slash entity moved forward I froze as it made its way halfway across the field as I snapped back to reality I started grabbing B by the arm and started saying we need to go now dude and things to that effect but he just stared deeply into his feet on the ground as if he was in a trance i kept pulling him but he began muttering again this time and loud enough for me to make out what he was saying it may have just been the panic that was setting in more than before but as he said this something flipped my brain into fight or flight mode and i chose flight he said I'm nothing. I can be easily replaced. What? After hearing him say that in his trance-like state and still seeing this mist-like being that defied physics moving towards us as I grabbed him in time, (laughs) we ran as fast as we could until I believed we were finally safe. After we crouched down behind a parked car in fear, taking a moment to catch our breath and calm down, I asked B what was wrong with him back there, and he informed me he only remembered our nice conversation on the swing, and the next thing he knew, he was being grabbed by me and told to run. After questioning for a while, I concluded he didn't actually remember, and we went back to his house to calm down and get some rest for the night, but I can assure you, I didn't sleep well. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I'm trying to like logically think of like what could have been happening to you guys. I'm just trying to be like the, 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 you know, the devil's advocate. But like, <laughs> if I saw that, I'd believe it to be 100% real because I'm sure you can tell the difference between a guy and just like a, some freaking real mist. Wow. That's a really good one. I love that. Thank you very much. Okay. The next story is from user Guilty and Guilty has a disclaimer. Disclaimer that I myself am not a super religious person. All right, here we go. So to start off, this was early 2001. I was around four to five years old, and my mom had given birth to my little sister in October of 2000. Everything looked normal leading up to her birth, but upon delivery, everyone found out that she has Down syndrome. And a couple of days later, it was found that she never developed one of her heart valves, which require open heart surgery to repair, which allowed for pneumonia to set up in both lungs, which is why she was in the hospital for five plus months. All of this was understandably hard for me to comprehend because I was very young and my parents were acting normal considering the situation, but it was strange for me to see them crying and arguing and so on. Well, one day while they were having a spat inside the house, I decided to go play basketball outside. There was a half court with a basket concreted into the ground. At one point, my ball rolled down the hill behind me, and when I was coming back to the goal, I don't remember hearing anything or feeling any type of way, but there was an entity that I can only describe as an angel directly in front of me on the court. 
It was translucent, but not in a movie ghost type of a way. It was more like there was light coming from the entity itself or from behind it. It was wearing a long flowing robe and had both of its hands reaching out, palms up like a traditional angel depiction. But the thing that caught my attention and is something I'll never forget is its face. It was also translucent, but more like shimmering water or moving crystal. Whoa. Or how water would look if you were underwater looking up at the sky. It had a face, but it was like everything inside was moving. It never said anything or moved at all, and we just stared at each other for some amount of time. I don't remember. Eventually, my mom called for me to come in, and I looked at her and said, okay. I looked back, and it was gone. I believe that it came to me to provide some comfort that it didn't know I needed, or perhaps just put me at peace. Wow, that's really cool. I like that one. That's a different one. That would I like anything that's like, unexplainable and it's interesting i wonder if it and you were young like why it's weird for like a young person i feel i mean i know young people have imaginations i just start trying to dig into the brain am i i I don't know i'm not a brain man i don't know stuff about brains i have a really dumb brain but i try to think about like what is the brain doing and are these like things to help us is the brain like telling you as a child since you have a strong imagination to imagine something to comfort you and bring you peace but like why that thing maybe you saw a picture of an angel someday even at some point even though you're not religious like is that what happened or is this stuff all real and that's where all these stories have come from all these people describe similar things because maybe they're really happening and i will never be a doubter of anything i'm always gonna be open to logic and science but I'm also super open to the unknown and the unexplained because that's way cooler and way more exciting. And I want to live in a universe where fantastic things can happen. So that's how I feel. And that was a really good story. Thank you very much, Guilty. Thank you to all the listeners who have sent their stories to me. Please keep them coming. Leave some voice memos. Leave some reviews. Say anything you want. Leave a whole voice if you can record yourself and get your story out and you want to say the story yourself, record a voice memo and send it to me here as a message on Anchor. And then it will go into the podcast. I'll just add it as a segment. That would be pretty cool. Well, that wraps up my listener portion of the show. Now let's go listen to a message from our sponsor. This morning, Billy looked like any other boy. But as the moon rose, he turned into a werewolf. He used new Pa's Halloween makeup kits. His friends did too. Look, Mike's a vampire. Amy's a ghost. Pa's makeup is safer than masks. It never blocks vision and it's hypoallergenic too. So watch your kids turn into the creatures they really are with new Pa's Halloween makeup kits. Thank you, sponsor, for keeping us on the air. Wouldn't be here without you. But you might be replaced by the Patreon supporters because they're paying a lot more than you since you give me no money. And please don't sue me. These old ads might come back and bite me in the rump. Somebody might sue me for some for playing their old commercials from 30 years ago. I hope not. They're fun for me. All right, let's keep it going. Now we're going to get back into the book. We're going to read another first-hand actual ghost story, a real account. This is from the book Nantucket Ghosts, and the author is Blue Ballet. Now, 
if you don't know, if you haven't heard the other episodes, this is an author. This is a woman who went and visited all these people on Nantucket Island. It's an island off of Massachusetts, technically off of Cape Cod, which is, if you look at the map, it's the part of Massachusetts that looks like an arm flexing. That's where I'm from. I'm currently in Los Angeles. I always say in the intro uh, from uh, Grave Stories with me, Nathan Barnett, former grave digger from spooky old New England, I'm from Massachusetts, but I live in Los Angeles now. So that would be more appropriate, though. I should be reading these in a cemetery. You know, I used to do that. Do you guys remember when I was doing fundraising for my last short film for Milford? I would sneak into a cemetery out here in Los Angeles. I would jump a fence. I had to, like, avoid... The police actually came in and were, like, snooping around one night, and I was hiding from them. I I used to do so many stupid, risky things, but I would go into this cemetery and read ghost stories on live streams. And I would live stream myself from inside the cemetery in the middle of the night reading these ghost stories. That was really fun, and it was very nerve-wracking, but it, like... Added, I brought candles and everything. I hope you, I, I, some of you probably saw those. And then I would go back. Eventually, I went back and I brought a Ouija board. And I started doing Ouija board in the cemetery in the middle of the night. Really bad idea. But anyway, I don't know how the heck I got onto that. Oh, because I'm from Massachusetts and I used to be a grave digger. So I thought it would be appropriate to be a former grave digger reading ghost stories in the cemetery. Maybe for a special episode, I could go and do a video version of this show and read some ghost stories in the cemetery late at night and then upload it on YouTube or something. Uh, Maybe I'll do that as a bonus if we reach $2,000 on the Patreon at some point. Just do some special new things. But this is going to be a weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone this is every Friday, but I'm also adding it on Tuesdays now. So every Tuesday and Friday will be episodes of this podcast. I love doing it. So thank you for listening. All right, now we're going to get back to the book. This is Nantucket Ghosts, and this woman, Blue, she goes around and she gathers these stories. And these people who lived in these houses on Nantucket Island, which is a very haunted area, they tell the stories of all these things that happened to them in these houses that they lived in or currently still live in. So uh, a lot of the stories, I think, take place in, like, the 70s and 80s. Some are, like, older, but... Some are actually pretty recent. So this is yet another one. This is a really good book. These stories are all awesome. Uh, some of them, I've read these years ago, but I don't really remember them at this point. So uh, there is one in here that's my favorite. And it's about this woman who cleaned a house and this just crazy stuff happened to her. I can't wait till I get to that one. It could be this one. I can't remember the titles. But this one is titled The Shimmering Bubble. Here we go. The 1800 house on Mill Street is located in an old section of the town. The house has no sidewalk in front, and it sits plain and stiff-backed on a little rise a couple of feet from the macadam. I don't know what a macadam is, but it sits a few feet from whatever that is. It has a rough fieldstone foundation and a steep flight of stairs which rise sharply to the front door. The building gives off a feeling of separateness that is not welcoming. Many of Nantucket's historic houses seem graciously open-hearted in their old age, but the 1800 house just doesn't. It is alive with the arthritic sounds of old wood, pops, ticks, and creaks are audible in every room. The building was restored by the Nantucket Historical Association in the early 50s and is an early example of the form of construction popular on Nantucket in the first half of the 19th century. The central door with two equidistant windows on either side added a certain formality that the earlier lean-to houses never had. One opens the front door into a small stair hall leading into parlors on the left and on the right. The effect is like that of holding a stick in a rapid stream. The stairs shoot upward from the front hall and the passage forks around the stairwell, meeting again in the large keeping room. The keeping room, where most of the cooking and living was once done, has five doors, one on either side of the fireplace, 
opening into each of the front parlors, one to a boarding room on the west, one to a weaving room on the east, and one to a summer kitchen in the back. The door that plays a part in this story is the parlor door on the west end of the keeping room, near the door to the boarding room. 19th century families spent most of their winter months in the keeping room, with its large hearth and southern exposure. It must have been the warmest and most welcoming room in the house. The boarding room was used just for that purpose. Not much bigger than a cubbyhole, it was easy to keep warm in the winter, and was convenient not only for giving birth, but for taking care of sick children or the elderly. There are five large rooms upstairs. In midwinter of 1972, electrician Parker Gray was hired to install a complex alarm system in the building. The alarm system consisted of infrared and ultrasonic rays, backed up with magnetic contacts fastened onto all of the doors and windows. When the system is on, an alarm goes off in the police station if a window or door is opened or if any solid object passes through the infrared or ultrasonic beams. From the time it was activated, the alarm went off between seven and quarter to eight every Tuesday and Thursday night. Each time the police hurried to the house, they found it quiet and undisturbed, with the exception of the ground floor latch door connecting the west parlor and the keeping room. This door, which was wired with magnetic contacts, would be found open. By the fifth week of false alarms, the police and the historical association began to wonder if someone was playing an ingenious trick or if Parker had indeed installed the alarm system properly. No one could think of a plausible explanation. Parker disconnected the magnetic contact so that no alarm would go off. The door would still be open on Wednesday and Friday mornings. Oh my God, I'm getting major chills now. Okay, something's going on. The, oh gosh. the other four doors leading out of the keeping room were all wired to the alarm system and all remained closed. Parker was understandably upset by this inexplicable problem. He wondered at first if it was a passing truck, very unlikely on Mill Street in the midwinter, or an airplane could jiggle the door latch loose. He tried walking heavily and then jumping up and down on either side of the door to see if the latch would bounce free. No luck. The latch itself was set in a cradle nearly a half inch deep, a type of fitting that is really too secure to be jolted open by a vibration. Mm -hmm. The only reasonable conclusion was that the latch was actually being lifted. Oh, that freaks me out. Oh my God. No. <laughs> this house is locked up. It's a historical place now. There's nobody in there. Who is getting in there? Oh, I have ultimate goosebumps. Holy crap. That image freaks me out. Dude, someone is sniffing around in there. Dang, there's a ghost moseying through the door. Okay, 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 okay. Here we go, here we go. This reminds me of a story my dad experienced. My dad's a very logical guy. Something crazy happened to my dad when he worked out in Colorado when he was younger. I gotta tell you guys this story sometime. Oh my gosh, I gotta have my parents be guests on this show. Oh, I gotta read more. This is all, this story's awesome already. Okay, here we go. I'm sorry to everyone who gets annoyed. All the people reviewing that I'm too energetic. I'm sorry, I'm trying my best to contain myself, but this is as good as I can do. This story is too spooky. Continuing on, the possibility of a ghost in the house was not mentioned. Everyone concerned had heard about presences in various Nantucket homes, but no one wanted to admit the existence of a ghost that opened doors. As a last resort, Parker took his assistant to the house between 6.30 and a quarter to seven one Tuesday night. They turned off the alarm, entered quietly, and stood out in sight. Oh gosh, here we go. 
As a last resort, Parker took his assistant to the house between six... Oh, gosh. Here we go. Oh, God. They're going to test it out. It took his assistant to the house between 6.30 and a quarter to seven one Tuesday night, and they turned off the alarm system, entered quietly, and stood out of sight of the troublesome door in a small storage closet around the corner from the West Parlor. Dude, they're hiding in a closet in a house where they think there's a ghost? These people are mental! The door to the storage room was left open. They waited there for half an hour or so. Parker's assistant was just whispering to him that this was a hell of a way to spend a cold February night. When they heard the latch click, (gasps) Parker, in recounting the story, said that he wanted to roar at the way his skeptical assistant blanched and rushed out of the front door, slamming it behind him. (gasps) What? Parker could hear his boots thumping off at a run down this quiet street. The man didn't even wait outside in the company truck. When no further sounds came from the next room, Parker stepped out of the storage room and peered around the doorway leading into the west parlor. The door to the keeping room had indeed swung open. He saw, this is a quote now, it seemed like an eternity, although it was probably only 15 to 30 seconds. Something moving slowly toward him, as he put it. There was definitely something there. Coming through the door. Oh my God. Coming through the open door, and it wasn't a sight he had ever seen before. He described it as looking like a shimmering soap bubble the size of a basketball. What? It was pulsing, moving gently in and out in all directions. He used his hands to show me its shape, and he said that it was about as translucent as light wax paper. It floated past him through the west parlor door, within one or two feet of where he was standing. He could feel an extraordinary and really horrible coldness that seemed to surround the bubble. He said that he felt nervous, but for some reason not really scared by the approach of this strange object, for it was traveling through the west parlor in an unhurried, undeliberate way that didn't seem to have anything to do with his presence. In retrospect, he says, he doesn't know why he was so sure of this or why he was so relaxed about standing in the path of this bizarre thing. Moving evenly at the pace of a slow walk, the bubble went past the storage closet and through the front hall and disappeared up the stairs. Parker did not follow it. He told his story to the president of the Historical Association and together they decided to fasten the door with an eye hook the following day. The hook and the eye were attached to the west parlor side of the door, thus preventing one from opening the door from inside the keeping room. There has been no trouble since. Wait, I'm going to pause. That's a bummer. Why did you stop this thing from doing what it wanted to do? If this is like a spirit or some sort of energy, let it be, man. It's the same thing as like letting animals do their thing and letting people do their thing. that's a bummer to me. This thing probably loved going up to that room. And now what's it doing? It's stuck in the other room. That's weird though. That means, that just tells you right there, the fact that they even did that and it stopped going through the door. I mean, maybe it just floats through the door now. I don't know. But that means it is interacting. It's lifting the latch. Something in another realm or dimension is connecting to us in our dimension. There's so much going on in this stupid universe. We don't know. We can't explain it. Oh, basketball, ghosts, or floating around opening doors wow this is such a good story okay there's only a little bit left let me continue 
The house has changed hands only five times since 1807. Shortly before the house was built, the area was described in local records as a tract of land in the Richard Gardner share westward of Stephen Chase's house. The house first appeared on record in a deed dated February 1807, when a house right by the name of Richard Coleman sold the homestead to Jeremiah Lawrence, high sheriff for the county and a prominent official of his day. The house was probably built shortly after Coleman bought the land in 1801. In 1856, Jeremiah's widow Eunice sold the house to Love Calder. James Monroe Bunker, a school teacher, notary public, and a civil engineer, bought the house in 1856 and lived there with his family for 38 years, selling it to Leonora E. James in 1903. Mrs. James, a peppery and outspoken member of the community, lived in the house for 48 years, many of them spent with her husband and children, and sold the house to Louise Anderson Melhado in 1951. Mrs. Melhado gave it to the Historical Association shortly after she bought it, and the house is open to the public during the summer months. Unfortunately, little is known of the Lawrence or Bunker families, nor did Mrs. James leave behind any diaries or papers that might have shed light on the existence of the mysterious bubble. Each of the three families spent close to half a century in the building. Perhaps one of the former owners is still in spirit making the nightly rounds. Dude, that's a good one. That was unique. That was different. Like, a lot of stories you read are like, and I was in the house and all this this wetness kept appearing. And then things were, doors were slamming and plates were moving. I don't think I ever read this story in this book. That I truly, I think this is the first time, I don't know how I've missed one. But that one was really original and really cool. Reminder, everyone, these are real stories. This is like from real people. These are firsthand accounts. This isn't like fiction. This is non-fiction. This is all fact. It's fact, everyone. Ghosts are freaking real. Dang, that's a good one. I'm very happy. This is an action-packed episode of the podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, who sent your stories. I'm very, very happy with these listener stories. It's a cool new aspect to the podcast that I'm very excited about. It's cool to hear them from you. So thank you. I love the ghost stories. If anyone listening has an interesting story and you want to tell me, you can become a patron and then you can get into my Discord and you can tell your story and I will read it on the podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'm former gravedigger Nathan Barnett from spooky old New England, currently in Los Angeles, and you are listening to Grave Stories. Good night, everyone.